Daily news, breaking updates, and exclusive podcasts. iTricks.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the iTrix Magic Weekend Review. I know it has been a little bit, uh, but if you've been following the website, you know I was, I was sick there for a while. There were some, some other complications. Even this podcast, we tried to do this last week, and iTrix Tower Midwest uh, lost its air conditioning when it was 100 degrees here in St. Louis. And so uh, our guest graciously pushed off until today. So long overdue, I introduced to everyone... Mr. Steve Spill. Hello, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, despite the air conditioning, I'm sure it's working good now. I've heard you are hot, baby. You know, you've, uh, from your past that you've been, a, you know, a, a, a wrestling icon and uh, magic impresario and, and a Santa and everything. So, uh, so you know, just we love you madly here at... Uh, iTrix West. That's where we're. Uh, I'm speaking to you from. Yeah. Oh, uh, you're 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 staking out the claims. Yeah, that's it. you have an iTrix West. This could be um, it. all of the rest of iTrix is West. I am the only person in St. Louis. Every everybody else, Justin Robert Young, the editor, is is in California. Andrew Maine is Lord knows where at any given moment. Um, mm-hmm. But that's I, why when Andrew's book came out, I was at his. Uh, I visited him as his uh, book signing. Uh, when was that? A couple of weeks ago or something. I hope that uh, it's doing great for him. And uh, I didn't. I don't think I've met Justin Robert Young, but and surprised to hear he lives out here. Also, I, I thought they were both Florida guys for the longest time. Yeah, they they were originally, um, and evidently they were driven from the community. So California was where they ended up. That's how that works. I think that's yeah. how people end up in California. Yeah. Um, speaking of books, we we mentioned uh, Mr. Maine's latest. Uh, you have a book out that is actually doing pretty well. Well, it's called "I Lied for Money: Candid Outrageous Stories from a Magician's Misadventures." It's a uh, memoir, and uh, I like to think of it as uh, you know the most badass book about being a magician ever written. I uh, it was distilled down to the essence from eighty nine thousand words to sixty thousand words. And uh, it covers my uh, uh, beginnings uh, growing up around the Magic Castle, uh, throughout uh, my days as a uh, bar magician, the comedy clubs, uh, casinos, corporate events, uh, right up until today, which I'm in my 18th year at Magicopolis here in Santa Monica, California. I have a 150-seat theater where we uh, float the ladies and do all the mind reading, slat and stuff like that. We have a full evening show, and... uh, and also a, a bar where we do have a great uh, magician that does tricks for the uh, people while we're, they're waiting to go in the show. We have a little magic shop and party room and so on. And, and a, a magic complex, uh, so to speak. Uh, by the way, if you are not, not familiar, magicopolis.com is our uh, website. has everything on there. And uh, pictures, reviews, videos, stuff like that. So any of the listeners that are... Uh, on their way to the left coast for a uh, holiday or a business, we hope you stop by and see the show. Yeah, now that's that's. I wanted to talk about the book, but let's let's jump into the career for a minute. You've kind of had uh, 
from the outside looking in a dream career. I mean, you've you've kind of done it all. Uh, when 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 we're we're little uh, magicians in our short pants, uh, dreaming of growing up someday, and you're like, I want to have a stage show. No, I, I want to have my own theater. I want to have a magic shop. Uh, forget it all. I just want to have a bar. You you really have had it all. Well, it's, it it wasn't by accident. I think you got to want it pretty bad, you know, and and you kind of have to enjoy the journey. And uh, I think the stamina of a, a marathon runner is more important than talent. You know, the hard work is kind of you know helps you improve. And when you're obsessed, you kind of make your luck. And uh, I, you know, I was fortunate, very lucky. Uh, speaking of that, uh, growing up around the Magic Castle, my dad was one of the first managers there. So I grew up having a lot of mentors and seeing a lot of magic from the time I was, you know, 10 years old to uh, probably 18 or 19. I was seeing the creme de la creme of magicians when magic wasn't popular and, you know, it was kind of dormant and all these guys were kind of hanging out. And so um, that kind of was my launch pad, you know. And uh, But beyond that, um, I think you kind of, make your own luck, you know, you, you become obsessed and, uh, if you, you know, and by the way, I'm not big on giving advice. I hate giving anyone false hope because luck, as I mentioned, has played a, a part in whatever success I've had. But I, you know, but I will say that by, uh, you know, using your skills and being true to yourself and working hard, it is possible to create an act or a show that, uh, you know, if not rake in millions, at least not find you on uh, welfare at the end of the day. So, so if you grew up around the castle, you also kind of grew up with this idea that obviously you could have a big magic club slash restaurant venue, and it it works. Um, That's exactly right. You know, had I not grown up, uh, up around there, I would have not thought it would be possible to do something like that. And I also watched it grow. I started uh, hanging there as a boy and watching the uh, the cancer spread, so to speak. Uh, around 1965, so it didn't open maybe 63 or something like that. And when I kind of was popping in on the scene there, and uh, not only was it empty quite a lot of the time, there was really just the close-up room and the uh, had the Irma piano kind of deal and the bar. It was before they even added the restaurant or any of the upstairs or, you know, and I saw it slowly just get hammered into the way. And, you know, had I not witnessed that, um, just as you correctly asserted, I wouldn't have thought it'd be possible to have your own magic place. You know? I, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I grew up here in St. Louis and uh, started doing magic as, as a as a kid. I mean, literally, uh, learning to read was propelled by then I could read magic books. And um, when I first heard of the Magic Castle, I was, you know, probably eight or ten i just didn't believe there could be such a place i just was like what are you kidding me you know michael we we chatted a little bit before but i'm just curious how young a man are you i uh turned 43 i'm 60 years old you're how what'd you say 43 i turned 43 last week so yeah i'm I'm still writing 42 on my checks gotcha well that's good i'm surprised that you on your checks you write 42 it's it's yeah no I that was a joke check in in uh so long that i think my wife's main names are still on our checks 
Oh, okay. Well, um, and I didn't know your age was required on checks. I think that's what threw me, you know. But uh, nevertheless, not all the jokes uh, are good. Okay, a little bit better perspective. So, the, by the time you were in the Magic Castle, it was sort of the full-blown catacomb of uh, theaters and bars and so on that it is now today. And yeah. For, uh, for, yeah. And have you been there? You've been there, yeah. Uh no. Oh, you never have. Right? I've I've never been to the castle. I uh, have traveled around quite a bit, but I try to kind of stay on this side of the Rockies. So I've really only been to California once, and that was uh, family business and then just didn't get a chance. One one of these days, I'm sure I'll get out there. Well, now you have two reasons. You not only can go to the Magic Town, we'd love to have you as our VIP guest at Magicopolis in Santa Monica. And, and, you know, we're on the ocean, it's a nice, there's a nice uh, breeze. It's a, you know, a, a very pedestrian-friendly town. You, you'd have a great time. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, uh, I I have followed you. I mean, we've posted plenty of stuff about you on, on iTrix and everything. And, and I've always been kind of intrigued by your venue um, in that, for one, it seems, and, and again, this is all from from states away. But but the Magic Castle definitely has a uh a country club. Let's put it that way. It's like a country club feel or like a, a, a like a um uh Yeah, it's a private club from, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then you have to wear a coat and tie and then it's uh, uh it caters to a uh, uh you know, it has the the private club kind of vibe. Right. You know, we're at in Santa Monica, we we have people that come in their shirt, t-shirts and people that it might be dressed up in a coat and tie or a, an evening gown, but we get the full gamut. And uh, unlike the castle, that you have to be over twenty-one, we we get also from kids to grandparents. We we get every kind of uh, you know people on their first date. We get grandma bringing the uh, grandkids. We get uh, some. People celebrating their sweet sixteen, or their you know, we get a, a, a big variety. Uh, we get the great big everybody. We don't have a really specific type demographic, like you know, young, upwardly mobile between twenty one and thirty eight, uh, etc. So that's uh, and 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 I think the show is better for it. We, really, the the show uh, uh, is. Uh, uh, it, people appreciate it on different levels, just the same as uh, you might enjoy uh, uh, Pee Wee Herman or uh, The Simpsons or Shrek as an adult and also as a kid. And a lot of the older people even get two visions of the show. They get the, the show watching it through maybe someone's younger eyes and then with their other eye they get the, the show themselves. Um, so it, ha- it has kind of a multi-level sort of thing to it, which... Um, it's great, not not by design, but just by accident. That's just how it kind of turned out, you know. And and you cover I, all aspects you, there, right? I mean, like you personally, you you do the big box illusions. I mean, minimalism close up. You you, you kind of do it all, right? Yeah, you know, I built the theater uh, specifically so that you'd be able to see magic. Great, I have a very steep rake. To the audience, each uh, seat is three. Each row is three feet high ab- above the one below it, and uh, even from the furthest seat in the stage, and it's this intimate theater, 150 seats. From the very back row, the furthest away, 
you can see what, you know, that it's the ace of hearts instead of the jack of clubs, and you can see a small coin trick or whatever. So in terms of the illusions, I have kind of the tent poles that are, uh, uh, you know, the beautiful uh, levitation and the, uh, uh, the table of tear where the spikes are on the ceiling and the rope's on fire. And there's seconds to escape, and it looks like I've been squished, you know, but I make it okay. And other kind of classics, uh, the, the cult of chair and, the, and so on. Uh, each of my stage shows has five to eight big illusions in, in the show. And they're presented um, kind of in sketch form. My wife, uh, Bozina, is a very skilled uh, actress and a very comedic uh, uh, sketch artist and, and really funny and animated. And I do the show with her. And together we have a lot of sketches that... Uh, to present those tricks, like the the, uh, the floating lady is a, a psychiatrist's office scene where the, the the shrink me falls in love with the patient her, and uh, so there's kind of a metaphorical thing of of uh, you know me floating her and so on. Uh, we do a, a, a squisher kind of trick that's um, uh, being disguised as the runaway bride, you know, the runaway groom. Like a uh, little sketch about uh, uh, a wedding gone wrong. I'll, you know, we have a, a lot of different um, forms in our show. Besides the straight kind of stand-up comedy presentations, we also have some danger and uh, romance and uh, autobiographical kind of memoir moments and so on. Um, so, and doing a show that's in the ninety-minute to two-hour range gives you a lot of latitude to enter the peaks and valleys in terms of including close-up coin uh, magic and a big stage illusion or a mind reading. Um, and that's, that's one of the joys of doing it, that we were able to encompass, uh, you know, like a general practitioner, all of the facets of uh, magic. And a lot of the people come to our shows, it's their first time, not only at a magic show, some of them, it's the first time even in a live theater. So it's great that they were able to uh, share kind of a smorgasbord of uh, of things with them, you know. All right. Now, that I have two questions that come out of that. And let, let me hit this one first. Uh, you do full sketches with your illusions. That sounds very uh, – that sounds very old school. That sounds very kind of Blackstone Senior, Thurston, you know, when you read about their, their shows where illusions are almost well, – performed as playlets is that a fair uh assumption or are you were you inspired by that yeah it's a throwback to the masculine devant days which a little bit predates the blackstone and so on and uh but it's but it's got like the 21st century vibe these these sketches are really funny there's a big laugh every you know 30 40 seconds or whatever and um they're also a way of having something to say that's uh, that's illustrated by the illusion. You know, our decolte chair is the seance scene, and the uh, the you know the the uh, person coming into the, to see the uh, medium uh, me wants to get their father uh, out of jail, and in the course of that, there's some tricks and. There's the decolte chair, and the, the medium disappears and appears at the back of the theater, but dressed in the prisoner outfit. And when it's removed, she's the you know the medium. And you know, there, there, uh, all of these sketches 
are uh, very fast-paced, kind of more along the lines of what, you know, like a SCTV or, you know, Second City or, or you know, Saturday Night Live or something like that. And they're all, you know, characterized and, and so on. Um, and in between that, we have solo pieces that um, are more of the stand-up uh, cabaret sort of variety. Um, and we also have some illusions that are kind of done to, to music and so on. And uh, as I said, we are, it, you know, it's kind of a, uh, a, uh, qu- a quilt of uh, crazy stuff. It, and, you know, it sounds like vaudeville. Um, yeah, it, it definitely has a shade of vaudeville. One of the things about our show is that it has a very organic sort of feel. There's no uh, robotic lamps or lasers or pyro or anything like that. And in that sense, um, it has a very earthy kind of organic, maybe a vaudeville sort of feel. But certainly the, the humor and subject matter and uh, some of the uh, uh, autobiographical things that are in the show are things that would be, you know, in a different era than vaudeville. But as far as being able to present that show a uh, hundred years ago, yeah, it, it definitely could be. Yeah, and I say vaudeville in, in the highest of esteem. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't mean the corny jokes and the you know. I mean the kind of like that something for everyone, you know. Uh, but yeah, that, which leads oh, which leads me to the second question: um, was was your theater? something that was already there and this might be getting a little theater nerd because i have helped build auditoriums of various types both in in my work doing sound and running movie theaters before that or did you design your space we designed it from the ground up we gutted the building so that it was a big empty space if you look on the special features on my 10 years of steve's bill dvd you'll see the building gutted and there's a a featurette there about the, you know, the making of Magicopolis. Uh, it took um, a year to get approved to demo out that building and, and build a theater there, and then six months for the build-out. And it gave me a lot of time. Uh, another thing that I had kind of learned from the uh, uh, seeing the Magic Castle built, I collected a lot of uh, parts of other buildings that were being torn down and renovated. The seats, for instance, in the theater were... Originally in an Orpheum theater in San Diego and then a monastery before I got them. On the bottom of the seat, there's a little wire hat rack. They used to wear a lot of hats in those days, and they would put their hats under there. So we got a lot of different uh, eclectic uh, building uh, parts. And um, every wall, every single thing I, we designed and built. Uh, my wife and I, when it was an empty building, would go in there with spray paint cans on the floor and saying, oh, the wall will be here. We'll go, oh, let's erase that. We'll put the dressing room here. We'll make the theater go this way and that way and so on. So before we even had all the, you know, uh, architectural drawings done, we had fooled around in there a lot and, and, and exactly kind of designed it what we wanted it to be. And uh, I would say it came out at least in the 80% how we wanted it, you know. There are a few things along the way, like any kind of building project. You open a wall, monsters can jump out, you know. Oh. But, um, uh, but you know, I'd say it was maybe 80 to 90% pretty close to how we envisioned it. And the first few weeks of actually, after the demo, building it from saw it in your mind's eye and on a drawing to actually becoming real life is a sensation that uh, 
was a great experience for me. Probably, you know, something that uh, I, that, that was like kind of my year, you know, seeing that come to fruition. That, yeah, that, that had to be quite an undertaking. I mean, there are very few theaters specifically built for magic, which has a different requirement than it's not quite the stage. It's not quite what you want for music. It's, you know, like I said, I, I've been involved in, in various kinds of auditorium construction. And, and uh, to be, you know, to, to make something like that has got to be uh, just just really, really gratifying as a performer now that you get to take that stage and A, know that whatever you don't like about it is your fault and you can't blame anyone else, but, but also that, that you, that you know exactly how it's built and, and have the advantage of, you know, every seat can see the small tricks and things like that. That's, that's just gotta be a a great place to perform for you. You know, over the years, having performed in various types of venues where they only see it from the waist up, you know, or that there's some obstructed uh, view or what have you, um, I, I wanted to be sure that every seat was a great seat. And a few of the extra little doodads like, uh, that make it possible for you to vanish on stage and appear uh, in the back of the room and, and things like that, a lot of the little bells and whistles uh, are also funny to feel in. But just the essential thing of having the great visibility of the performer from head to toe for 150 people close enough that they could really see everything and experience it it was, you know, probably the major uh, stroke that uh, makes the show work and, and makes it a great place to see magic. And so uh, why, why don't you throw out the website? Let's plug it again one more time so everybody can... Oh, it's can... magicopolis.com. It's spelled M-A-G-I-C-O-P-O-L-I-S.com. If you go on our website, it has pictures, reviews, video... So you can get a great idea. There, uh, right now, the three videos on there, there's one that's a compilation of uh, some clips from the show that have been on various uh, uh, TV broadcasts. There's one that says Kids at Magicopolis. That was a uh, story about our uh, you know, kids at Magicopolis. And then uh, right now, there's a third video on there, which has my full table of terror, as we call it, uh, uh, routine on there. And... Uh, um, so, you know, that'll give you a nice taste of what it's like if you were there in person. And, uh, for those of you across the country that, uh, come on out, we would love to have you, you know, uh, we do the shows we have open to the public are Friday and Saturday at eight, Saturday and Sunday at two during the week. We do corporate events, fundraisers, parties right now. It's the summer. We had to schedule this in the afternoon because, uh, we have uh, summer camps taking their field trip every day in the daytime. And we run the show for the kids, which is a lot of fun. And uh, we have, you know, YMCA's and campfire kids and uh, uh, all different camps that come, uh, which is great because normally in the daytime during the week, we're not doing too many shows. So it's a uh, added bonus that we, uh, during the summer, have these kids come. And they're usually uh, maybe 80 or 100 kids and uh, the rest are uh, counselors and supervisors and directors or whatever. So it's a lot of fun. And most of the shows we get, we don't have quite that many kids. Usually at the matinee, it's uh, on our normal shows for the public, it's like half kids. And in the evening, it might be 5 to 10% kids. So we get a, a good mix. Um, when they come to the show, um, we have a great magician in the bar, uh, Chad Nelson, 
um, that does tricks for the uh, over 21 crowd uh, while they're assembling, uh, while the guests are arriving before the show. And then our magic store, we have, uh, we demonstrate all the tricks from our magic store for the kids that are under uh, 21. And then they all assemble together in the theater. And, um, and uh, it's a, a great time has had, uh, a fun time has had by all, can I tell you? Well, that, and we hope we can include some of your listeners in those uh, shows. If they come out here, we'll be here. We're just in our 18th year now, so that which is which is awesome. I mean, so so many places come and go, and, and you're obviously a success. And, and I think we're starting to maybe understand why. Um, but believe it or not, we are we are well past the the theoretical halfway point of the show. So let's take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we will talk more to Steve, and we're going to talk more to Steve about Steve and less about his venue right after this. This is Michael reminding you once again to support your local no-kill animal shelter. My own family has had a rescue uh, part chihuahua, part miniature pincher maybe for years named Paco, the uh, microphone-shy chihuahua mix, but even though he disappointed us last year by not barking into the microphone, he is still a beloved part of our family. And uh, you can find a friend like that or help other families find uh, their new members at your local no-kill animal shelter. And let's see if this year we can get Paco to bark for us. Paco, Paco, you want to bark? Tell everybody to support their animal shelter. There you go. Paco and Michael say support your local no-kill animal shelter. Now back to the Magic Week in Review. iTricks.com and we're back here with with Steve Spill, who's been telling us all about magic magicopolis. That's that is a mouthful. That that that's that's it's just definitely yeah. Some people have said uh, yeah, it's a magicopolis, but it's kind of the most fun your mouth can have saying some long word without too many K's in it. That's it, what I think. It, it, it kind of rolls off the tongue. It just shows that that I didn't have a classical education, no Greek or Latin. I can't I can't spit <laughs> spit it out easily. Magic. Yeah, well, what I meant was City of Magic, so that's why I got the Magicopolis. And, uh, you know, I would have used uh, the Magic Castle or uh, Wizards or something, but those were already taken. So I had to make up my own word. And when you want to make a registered trademark for your theater, at that time there was a Wizards, spelled with two Zs, right. on right. Universal Studios uh, Hollywood here, so I couldn't use that. The Magic Castle was popular. Uh, they are also a registered trademark. So I, I just and you know, any of the other things that I would think of, you know, Houdini's or something like that. Um, I, I just it was easy to make up my own word, and that's kind of what I did, so that I could uh, uh, have an exclusive use. And from time to time, uh, surprisingly, uh, there had been people that came up with the same idea, Magicopolis, and uh, we had to squelch their uh, use of that name because of that's why we have a registered trademark, right. you know, right. So, right. Right, because, right. and that's important because as much as you, we kind of would like to get along as magicians and, and see everybody succeed, and at the same time, it's a business. And we have to, if, if we neglect the business, even the unpleasant aspects of it, you're not going to be around for long. Right. Well, I'll tell you something when you talk about business to uh, uh, kind of mesh that idea of business and trying to be a little bit of an artist or performer and so on. Uh, you know, to kind of write and produce and perform a show in the theater, you design, built, and, you know, operate and so on. You have to be kind of equal parts uh, dictator and diplomat. 
and you gotta you know you gotta be the astonishing magician storyteller on stage but you also gotta be the guy shoveling the raw sewage in the middle of the night because no one else would and everything will be lost if it didn't get done and uh, so you and you gotta kind of protect and serve and and uh try and be a you know a creative person and at the same time a sort of a penny pinching jerk so it's not always you know something like protecting our trademark isn't fun particularly and it's not about the, you know money or fame it's just part of what you know, it takes to kind of get your vision out there uh, for people to see. You know, yeah. Um, but I promised the people we were gonna we were gonna get away from the venue and talk more about this this Steve Spill character. Um, so so let's do that. And and the book seems a really good way to to uh, get into that since you've been nice enough to tell us all your your life story as it were, <laughs> uh, right there. And I really suggest everybody uh, pick it up. I started reading it it finally hit in my reading list a, a day or so ago um so uh, i have to say i'm enjoying it I, I liked right in the beginning you steal from george burns admit you steal from george burns and it's like there's two things that i love a that you're classy enough to admit it and b you're classy enough to steal from the best so. right well you know the thing is is this i use the phrase honest liar and that's where i Refer. Uh, that's where I came to it from. Boy, this guy and, knows his uh, own book. <laughs> yeah, a- well, yeah, yeah, and uh, and you know, I enjoyed uh, reading it. I never met George Burns or saw him perform uh, other than you know on TV or something. Um, but I enjoyed reading uh, his books, and uh, he uh, made a, a habit of uh, being a professional liar all the time. He was a guy that hung out and went to a lot of parties and hung out at the, the, the golf club with his cronies and so on. And whoever was there, he would tell some crazy story about it, even if it wasn't true. And then, you know, when they got to the point they realized that it wasn't true, he would, he would admit it. So he called himself an honest liar. And, you know, he... Uh, so, yeah, exactly right. I, I considered myself a thief and a liar, and 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 uh, uh, admitted that right in the introduction. Yeah, and and nothing wrong with that. I I uh I have every single one of George Burns's books. <laughs> oh, oh you know, yeah, it's really funny. He did a great job, and uh, he had sort of an amazingly uh, long uh, career, and uh, and I felt an affinity to him in a lot of different ways. You know. Yeah. He worked with his wife, which was, uh, you know, and met his wife actually performing and so on. So I had also a number of things in common from him. And uh, I've always been a, an avid reader. And uh, and his books in particular I really did enjoy. So that's why I wanted to give him credit there where it was due. Yeah, and, and just as a, as a kind of aside for, for listeners, if, if you feel um, – kind of boggled as we as we move further and further into this digital age and how is this changing you know magic and performing and and how do we navigate these new media uh george burns is actually a really good person to kind of look at his career because the guy went from the vaudeville stage through radio when it was new had a hugely successful radio show to television when it was new, had a hugely successful television show, dabbled in movies later in his life, uh, became a bona fide movie star, which people kind of forget today. But but you know he made some huge movies with Brooke Shields and the Oh God films, and and uh, uh, and all through this was 
just an incredible comedian, a master of timing. And you do a lot worse than than reading up on on George Burns to see how he navigated uh, uh, some real changes. And if he was still alive, granted, he'd be like 115, 120. He'd probably have like the best web presence ever. Exactly. And, you know, I think that goes a little bit to what I would said earlier that, um, you know, kind of the stamina of the the marathon runner is is more important than talent. He, you know, early in his career, he was, I don't know, a dog trainer. He was uh, singing songs. He was a tap dancer. He couldn't even quite find his way to comedy right off the bat. He just knew that he wanted to be in show business and he was obsessed with that. And uh, and he made his luck, and you know, uh, if, uh, and he credits his wife as the one putting him over the top. You know, before he was a solo stand-up comedian, he uh, did his uh, came to prominence uh, because his wife. Uh, they did a two-person like a man and wife act, a and he started. Off, yeah, exactly. And he wanted to. He started it off that she was going to be the straight person. And he was going to be the comedian. And they would laugh at her straight lines and not at his jokes. And he switched it around and, and uh, uh, made a big success. They went to the, to the top of vaudeville with that act. And also, like you mentioned, in radio and then uh, finally in television. And by the time that uh, his wife felt like retiring, he felt like a capable solo stand-up act. And he, he rode the horse down to the, the horizon uh, from there. Uh, like you said, you could do a lot worse studying uh, someone's career than his. Um, and now we can study yours in in your new book, which uh, is available. Speaking of new media, you can get a real book with pages. You can get a digital edition. Um, I have both because I misplaced my real book. It's also on Audible. So you can get an audio edition. There you go. So, so you you're too lazy to read. Conference. Yeah. That's who, right. And who, I think a lot of people listening to this might be in that category. Hey, yeah. um, who, who, who did the Audible? Do you read it? or? No, I didn't uh, read it. The Audible company uh, cast an actor to do that. And uh, uh, so, you know, they, 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 sometimes they, they said they might contact you if they needed to, any advice on the interpretation or something. In my case... It was sold to Audibles. They cast some actor to do it, and he did a genius job. I've uh, actually gotten a lot of uh, uh, feedback that people enjoy. They asked, "How come I changed my voice?" You know, <laughs> but he does a great job, and uh, it's certainly uh, a viable way to uh, absorb the info. and um, uh, And the, the Audibles is is a great thing. I mean, uh, I don't think in uh, George's didn't George Burns have? I don't think there are any audio books in his time. But, uh, um, maybe really at the just tail end, because that would have been starting on cassette, you know, in the late seventies. But but even then, it was something that they more moved towards truckers. So. And those are uh, that's a big audience for George Burns. I, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, that's that's something I miss from the truck stops. Is you used to go to a truck stop, and uh, there'd be the just giant row of audiobooks on cassette, but. But I'm an aficionado of truck stops. I don't know about anybody else out there. I love a good truck stop. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. As a magician or as a Santa, did you ever make a tour of truck stops? 
Uh, no. Um, actually, when I was when I was running uh, my video business, um, is when I, I did a lot of traveling because uh, you do not want to move professional video equipment through the TSA if you can avoid it. So <laughs> I drove everywhere and uh, uh, always said since since the time I was a kid, um, we used to follow around my my grandpa's uh, uh, racing team. He, he he had a race car team and I just just love the truck stop, man. That's America in a uh, little cement box. Everything from liquor and condoms to uh, comic books and candy bars right there at the truck stop. So love a good truck. Stop. That's it. But well, that, I, go ahead. Oh, sorry. You you actually were cutting out there for a second. But I was to say, let's 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 get back to you. Um, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a strong feeling that I first probably saw you years ago on like maybe evening at the Improv or one of those uh, late '70s, early '80s stand-up comic-driven shows. Am I wrong about that, or am I right? Yep. I, I did that, and I did uh, uh, Comedy Express, which was a uh, Fox show, and uh, Comedy on the Road, which was an A&E show. Um, I, yeah, I did a few of those. Uh, and in fact, um, the, the comedy club uh, thing was a, a very... Uh, I just happened to hit that at the right time when there was like 500 comedy clubs coast to coast, and it was easy to get your foot in the door. And uh, I did a lot of... Um, uh, and it was great because I had a lot of trial and error. I got to try out a lot of different things and see what worked and what didn't work and take the things that did work and, and uh, between them hammock in the, the newer material. Uh, actually, I have a section in the book, I Lie for Money, of some of the things that were not keepers. You know, whatever you, you think of some great idea for some funny trick or a routine or what have you, and uh, what your girlfriend thinks or your wife or your mom thinks or something doesn't really matter. you got to make this work for an audience for st- of strangers for it to be successful. And there's a certain amount of trial and error uh, involved. And along with some of the keepers that are, you know, uh, uh, on, uh, you know archived on a video from those shows and other events... Uh, or in the 10 years of Steve's Bill DVD, which you can get, which goes from 1980 to 1990. has a lot of comedy club appearances on that video, that DVD. Um, there's a lot of them that are you think are going to be great that are not keepers. And I have a, a chapter in the book of some of my favorite ones that I thought were really funny or poetic or interesting that for some reason didn't the audiences did not respond. Uh, one of them, I had this great nose hair routine. Did you ever... Um, pull on a straggling nose hair that you just couldn't seem to get out. Well, I, I once developed and had a, a working prototype of a tiny spool of thread game that you could securely, you know, be hidden in a nostril so that I could look like I was going to pull a nose hair out and have like this 10-foot hair that keeps, you know, pulling out. I just thought that was the funniest thing ever. And uh, nothing, no response. Tried it a bunch of times, perfected the prototype, just wasn't as funny as I'd hoped, you know. I had a, a, another one that, that I uh, really had a high hopes for. I had this routine called the bookworm. And uh, I would have a, uh, it was like a prediction trick. So I would take out an envelope and, uh, uh, you know, that has a word predicted in it, stick it to the microphone stand. And I'd have somebody come up to assist me. And first I would show them 
a big dictionary and flip through it and they'd make sure all the words were different and so on. And then I would take the book back and hand them uh, the kind of round carton that uh, like Chinese soup comes in. And I'd have them open it up. Inside were a lot of earthworms, a lot of night crawlers, live worms are crawling around in there. And the idea was that um, I would flip through the book, the dictionary, the spectator, the helper would drop in an earthworm and I'd slap the book shut and then we would open it up and, you know, the squished worm underlined a specific word and lo and behold, we'd open up the prediction and the underlined squished worm underlined word and the prediction are one and the same. And, you know, what made this trick great for me wasn't, of course, the dictionary, it was the, the earthworms. And I, as you know, it would just, although it was funny, half the time the volunteers, they would scream or they'd dump the worms on the floor or toss them at me or in the audience or, or refuse to pick one of them up in their hand, which made it impossible to finish this bit most of the time. Uh, plus, it wasn't that easy to get constantly get a fresh supply of earthworms, you know, live wherever and whenever I, wherever I happened to be performing. But um, those are a couple of the ones that I thought were really going to be great things that just didn't quite pan out as I had hoped. And um, even some of the best comedians that I worked with, like, you know, Stephen Wright or uh, Bill Hicks or these guys, a lot of them, it took eight or ten of their jokes to get one, you know, great one that uh, was a keeper. And um, I guess I'm not sure if the ratio is quite that bad with magic, but it's definitely... You know, you might have a better ratio because you have the trick of things that are successful, but you still, uh, it takes a long time to get something to try out. You got to build the props, you got to collect the thing, you got to work out the trick besides the the jokes and the presentation. So, um, but it, that's what the comedy clubs were great for. I know today there are not that many comedy clubs, and it's a different situation than it was at that time. But, uh, when I started doing the comedy clubs in the uh, 80s, um, you know, just about every place that used to be a disco, every bowling alley, every kind of place had a, uh, that they could put up a microphone would, you know, it was an easy way for different club owners to switch over to a, a new type of attraction, uh, opening a comedy club. And I just had... Yeah, it's Go ahead. that you say that. It, uh, there was a time there, it was like if you couldn't cram an arcade into it, put a comedy club in it. And Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And I remember, you know, even here in St. Louis, which is, you know, hardly the entertainment capital of the world, uh, we have a chain that is actually still headquartered here, the, the Funny Bone chain. And I worked at the Funny Bone and the Laugh Stop and the Punchline and a lot of different chain clubs like that. Yeah, and there and there there had to be at one point when when even through probably when I was in high school, maybe three, four, maybe even five chains in this area, and then yeah. little independent places, and and then uh, and then those gave rise to the improv groups, the quote unquote comedy sports. Um, and and this all kind of leads to something I'd I'd like to talk to you about uh, because you you have the to use a hackneyed phrase the comedy chops. I mean you you went through the comedy clubs, which a lot of magicians you know kind of hate the comedy clubs. Uh, a lot of them you know will say that that's that's the way to go. They're you know 
there's there there's not chains of magic clubs for you to go to perform in for example you're not going to book that tour easily um do you think that magic needs comedy do you does magic have to be funny um and no it doesn't have to be funny you know the thing is is this the tricks uh the idea at least to me is that uh these tricks are uh, just used as a vehicle for you to express yourself, to communicate with the audience. And if you want to put across what you have to say or what you want to share, uh, it doesn't have to be funny. You know, I think that that's one of many possible presentational things. And if you're a, kind of a funny person, then when you do magic, it's going to come out a little bit funny. You know, if you're a little bit more mysterious and uh, you look like Max Maven, probably your presentation isn't going to have a big belly laughs every 30 seconds. It's going to have more of a cerebral, you know, uh, kind of thing to it. Um, if you're Ricky Jay, you might have a more professorial, sort of historical. He's very interested in uh, uh, research of, uh, you know, eccentric performers of the past and so on. And his performances have a little bit of a reflection of him, a little bit of a lecture sort of um, historical uh, perspective to them. So the same way that you could see here, same two people sing the same song and it comes out different. Um, that's the same thing with the magic. You know, there's a, there's not that many notes in magic. There are the music, of course. I mean, you know, there's what seven or six, eight you know, basic effects. You can make something appear, disappear, transform, so on. Um, so that's why the expression or the interpretation or what you have to communicate uh, and share with the audience, you know, while you're presenting the trick becomes, I think, even more important than, uh, than most people give it to, you know, the attention to it that it should have, you know. And that's probably what really separates the people that are able to make a living um, you know, using uh, magic as their uh, as their performance uh, than some other forms, you know, like music or uh, drama or whatever. So, can uh, can you learn to be funny, or if you don't have that spark going into it, do you think it's best to just look for another style of performance? Well, you know, um, I think that people that are, that, are, that are kind of funny on stage are funny, and you can't really teach that. What you can teach is a, a certain amount of uh, technique and, you know, how to, how to, you know, phrase things so that the last word of what you're saying is kind of the funny part. Or, you know, there's certainly a lot of refinement that can be done in terms of... Uh, uh, timing and presentation and, and writing and so on. But I think if you were kind of, you know, funny on stage or a funny, you know, have a funny point of view to things, then you can, a certain amount of trainability is there to, to perfect that, to make you better at it. I'm not sure you can just say, oh, this guy would be really funny on stage, you know. Um, likewise, it takes, you know, knowing yourself, which is hard to do when you're young because when you're young, you are still learning everything. You're a little bit imitating a lot of things and so on. Um, and you are uh, uh, not as self-aware as to who you are as, as a person, you know? And I think 
when you get a little bit older, uh, basically your presentation is, is an accumulation of all the things that you uh, kind of like or have read or that you've experienced. And that's really what makes your character, your experience, your life, your, your, how you react to things and so on. And uh, uh, every once in a while you have somebody that, you know, they're, they're interested in uh, comic books. So they make themselves as sort of a comic uh, character, like the Sylvester the Jester. He was interested in cartoons. He sort of kind of made that his, his thing, you know. I think that uh, the more that you can... Uh, share who you are and, and communicate uh, that to the audience, the better that your presentation, whether it's a dance or magic or comedy or you have a rock group or, you know, I think that's, that's what it's about. You know, for a guy who said he doesn't like to give advice, that might be some of the best advice oh, out well, there. It- uh, what what I, happened? <laughs> what I say about advice is that I just don't want to, you know, encourage somebody to to uh, say you're going to make it and you're going to you're going to be a big success if you just stick with it. Because I know a lot of people are not going to be a success if they stick with it, and I don't want to be the one that I'm just talking into the air right now. And whoever is listening, I'm what I meant by not being big on giving advice is that I don't I don't want to give anyone false hope. Because not only is there some luck involved, but certainly you have to have it kind of in you to be, yeah, relentless and, and have that stamina to keep going and, and handle rejection and stuff like that. And not everybody is made like that. And uh, if you can be uh, happy as an engineer or an architect or a doctor or an attorney or something like that, you're going to have a much more uh, a terrific uh, a career and your hobby can be magic and you can have a lot of fun doing magic and performing and so on um, without the pressure of having your something that you love having to make an income from that. Which also, by the way, is sage advice. <laughs> okay. I, I guess I'm giving advice reluctantly. You're, you're, uh, you're, but you're being realistic. And, and I mean, that's, that's that's good and and you're right not everybody's going to make it and one of the unfortunate things i think about magic is um and i've i've talked about this before i i spent some time in the technical end of the the music industry and in music there are so many more outlets to have a career in music but not necessarily be quote unquote you know in a band on tour because a lot of people find out touring is not fun uh, a lot of people do not like the tour, you know, or a lot of people don't care about if there's people in front of them when they play. And, and you know, and, and there there get to be studio musicians and composers and, you know, so, you know, com- so many other things. And magic com- doesn't seem to have that. Yeah, comedy, music, drama, they all transcend the media. You can hear that music that you're talking about. On a CD, it can be scored into a, a movie. You can watch it on a video. You know, magic isn't so great on video or CD. Or you know, it, it doesn't transcend the media the same way that comedy or music or drama does. You know, magic is really a live art form, and 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 that's kind of it. You know, that, the, it's best experienced live. That's when it has the biggest appeal. 
and it isn't as appealing watching it on your telephone or in the movies or on TV or on Hulu or you know, it just isn't the same. But but it's you awesome know, on a podcast. See, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the podcast is different because we're talking to people that are magicians, of course. Yeah. But I mean, the experience of being three feet away from a floating lady that's rising above you is not quite the same on a screen, you know. Well, right, because also, I mean, you're going to flip the channel, and on that channel, there's there's cars turning into robots and talking and fighting. That's, that's a lot to compete with. Yeah, exactly right. That's right. So, yeah, magic doesn't transform, it transcend those uh, various medium very well, and hence it, it kind of limits the amount of, uh, I mean, you know, there are many millions of uh, positions available around the world to be an actor or a singer or a dancer or a comedian or what, you know. The magician's a pretty obscure, outer fringe sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, part of show business, you know, so. Which- but that's what I like about it. You know, I actually, I really like the fact that it, it's uh, sort of uh, a, a rarity. You know, I, I would say that most of the people that come to our show never were at a magic show in person ever. Which I was just going to say, I mean, in the same time where, where that can be seen as a weakness of magic, it's also a strength for magic because we can't, you can't make a product in Hollywood and send it to 20,000 theaters around the world in magic. It's best done that in every city, in every town, whether it's on the street corner or the bar or, uh, you know... Uh, a more traditional stage or the retirement home. Often, uh, yeah. Well, very often I, uh, I had a, a good 10 year stretch there where I did a, a variety. I was considered the speciality or a variety act in review shows in casinos mostly. And, and I've talked with other people that also, even to this day that I have the, uh, you know, there's the tits and feathers dancers. There's the, this, this, and this, the magic act in a, um, a review show very often is who steals the uh, the show. That, that's the, the the big you know uh, the spot. Not not so much the dancer or the singer or whatever. And you know, um, and I think it's because as uh, we've uh, we share the opinion, it's best experience lot. So yeah, I like that it's uh, readily seen. I like that it's a, a, a special kind of rare jewel that isn't uh, uh, you know as accessible as some other uh, forms of entertainment. Yeah, it makes us like dessert. Yeah. We're special. Exactly um, right. I um, like the... I, I have kept you way longer than I told you I was going to keep you. Um, we probably should wrap this up. So, why... Well, that means that being kept man is coming to an end here. I uh, And actually, I think I was getting a little tired of listening to myself talk at this point, too, so... Probably well, we're going to have the audible guy come in and actually reread everything you said, so it'll be okay. Excellent. Well, then that means that I'll actually get paid. That's good. Uh, it, it, until then, however, how about you throw out yeah, was, uh, some of your contact information so so the iTricksters out there can, can catch up with you? Well, you know, uh, everything is at magicopolis.com. It's spelled M-A-G-I-C-O-P-O-L-I-S. It has everything about the uh, show here in Santa Monica, and pictures, reviews, video. There's a link there to my book, I Love Money, Candid Outrageous Stories from a Magician's Misadventures, that uh, links you up to my uh, 
to uh, Amazon. If you're not, uh, the, the book, by the way, is available in stores coast to coast, uh, you know, Barnes & Noble, whatever. Also in uh, Canada and the UK, although it's probably most popular here in the uh, U.S. of A. Um, and uh, I know you can get it at uh, Walmart.com and, you know, various, uh, uh, anywhere that you might buy books, you can get I Lie for Money, Candid Outrageous Stories from the Magicians and Misadventures, and I would certainly appreciate it if you uh, uh, do that, that you um, drop me a line. You can write me personally, steve at magicopolis.com, and if you have any questions or you'll let me know what you think, that's fine. We also have, a, um, of course, the Facebook page, uh, our Magicopolis Facebook page, not the generic one or the Wikipedia ones, there are four or five Magicopolis pages. Ours is all spelled in caps, and there's an icon of the chimp, which is in front of our Magicopolis uh, uh, theater where you do, uh, visit in person. So the one with the monkey is the one that's ours. And uh, at Magicopolis is our Twitter. Um, and I'm at uh, a breath at this point. So um, I think this would be a, a good time to wrap it. Michael, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and I really uh, uh, hope one day you'll make it out here so we can have you as a VIP guest at uh, Magicopolis and uh, give you the nickel tour around Santa Monica and, and, uh, and, and have a couple of Guinnesses. I know that's your favorite. It, 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 it was, but like I said, I can't drink them anymore. It's sad. It's terrible. But... Uh... All that aside, I would love to get out there. I I want to see a theater built for magic. I, I'm that kind of nerd, I guess. <laughs> um, but thank you for being on the show today. It's been a long time coming. We really appreciate it. And thank everybody out there for listening. I know it's been a while since we did the last show. Um, we're, we're back on the horse now for a while. We're, we'll just call that a summer hiatus. <laughs> and until next time, uh, everything you need to know about the world of magic can be found at itrix.com.